See brown in your face. Have you heard of everything at once? Do you know about everything at once? It's internationally known. Aliens listen to it. It's the best. <laughs> ever. If there's everything. something you're looking for in the 814, we're feeling a little bored and think there ain't no more. Ain't no Check more. out everything at once and allow it to be your source. It's that raw podcast that's always showing support. Highlighting the scene. No need to take I-90 to people. 79 to see how it be. Interviewing your locals with mindsets that are global. Innovators and creators on every single upload. So much going on in the EPA. Everything at once will keep you up today. Amazing guests. What you doing? Come through and hang with Tony and Dave. Community driven. Bringing everything at once from around the way. Everything at once from around the way. Hey. Please listen. We love you. <laughs> everything at once. Everything at once. We're so pumped. So amped up. We're for- so ready. We got what you need. We know why you're here. You wanted to tune into another episode of Everything at Once. Let me tell you something, brother. <laughs> this is the best podcast in on, Erie. In Erie, bro. Probably Pennsylvania. Probably. Quite possibly the world. The aliens think it's the best in the universe. I'm not sure. Brother, it's the best in this universe or any universe you can find. All those alternate universes as well. But before we get into the show, we first want to thank all of our Patreon producers. Brian G., Josh W., Ian D., Nick G., and Sadie M. Patreon is an awesome way to support this show and say thank you to us. You can become a Patreon supporter by clicking the link below and choosing to be an intern, assistant, or producer-level supporter. That's right. For a mere $5, you can be an intern and really help us grow and expand and continue to bring you that incredible content that you all know, love, and deserve. We now want to also shout out all the businesses that sponsored this episode. These local businesses get the Everything at Once stamp of approval and are critical members of the Everything at Once community. We couldn't do without them. First, we want to thank Cauldron and Thorn. Cauldron and Thorn is the world's largest witchcraft store. They're huge. They're gigantic. And they offer a conglomerate of crystals, books, ceremonial supplies, incense, herbs, oracle and tarot cards, and self-care items. It's a real grocery store for the soul. Located just west of the Colony Plaza on West 8th Street. They're open seven days a week. Or 24 hours online, actually, and 24 hours online at cauldronandthorn.com. That's right. We And we also want to thank one of our new sponsors, Solid State Construction. Solid State, State takes pride in all home remodeling projects. Solid State specializes in bathroom remodeling, kitchen renovations, window and door installation, custom design work, and more, including painting, flooring, dry, drywall, siding, and decks. Get a free quote by calling Nick at 814-397-7854. Solid people, solid product, solid state construction. Got a problem with your car? Tommy's Automotive can take care of it. That's right. Tommy's Automotive can take care of brakes, exhaust, fluid changes, spark plugs, and all other maintenance needs. Tommy's Automotive also does fluid film undercoating. Book your appointment today. Call Tommy at 814-384-8088. And finally, we would like to thank Details by Phoenix. Has your car been looking like death lately? Well, help it rise Rise from from the the ashes with Details by Phoenix. They will have your car looking brand new. Those automatic car washes never do a good job. So save yourself the headache and the hassle and bring your car to Details by Phoenix. Schedule your car detail with Phoenix by calling 814-981-0862. This week, all the way from Crown Heights, Brooklyn, New York, Rabbi Dovey comes to the studio to share with us about his journey here and strengthening the Jewish community here in Erie. It was a great learning experience, as it is with all of our guests. I learned so much about Judaism and uh, just the different things that go on within the community and within the practice. It was an amazing and insightful conversation, and we hope you guys enjoy it as much as we did. We know you will. Rabbi Dovey. Wow. 
Um, and if we would have had a previous, uh, what do we call it, a multiverse? Multiverse, a multiverse. Yeah, yeah, exactly. If we would have had something, I would have said something like um, <laughs> <laughs> um, that, I forgot. Regardless, um, you see, it never happened. Exactly. Can't even remember it. What? Yeah. <laughs> Nailed it. Didn't it. Happen. Good work. So you were growing, growing up young in a Jewish community, went to Jewish schools, like a Catholic school that I would be used to or think of um, going to as far as religious schools go. And you're really immersed in this culture early on. Yeah. So like we didn't have a Sunday school. We had it every day of the week. Mm -hmm. This is um, Saturdays too. Not Saturday, actually. The day of Shabbat, Sabbath. Uh, so we spent time, you know, with the family and um, going to the synagogue. Um, but every day of the week, you know, we had Jewish school, mm -hmm. learning Jewish studies, and uh, growing and, and learning about our heritage. Do you think that was different at all from like a a normal school, as far other than like learning about the Jewish heritage? So you still had like math and science and social yeah, studies we had all that. and yeah, yeah. all the normal things that you would expect a school to have. Mm -hmm. um, but religious was religion was clearly a a big part of those. It was a big studies. part of yeah, a big focus. Cool. So were were the classes taught by rabbis? Rabbi means teacher, right? Rabbi means teacher, yeah. So yeah. it was taught by rabbis. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, that sounds really interesting. So what did what did you like take away from that experience, especially early on? I feel like a lot of people, especially people that are like raised in a religion, at least my experience, like a lot of my friends who were went to Catholic schools or my parents who went to Catholic schools very much got turned away from the Catholic religion. And you seem to have experienced the opposite. Well, everybody has um, the ability to make the choices they want to make. Mm -hmm. um, you know, people can be raised one way and they'll choose to follow a different path in life. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is how I was raised and I, and I stuck to it. You know, thank God I'm happy about it. Um, I feel like, you know, it's a, I have a sense of, of mission, of, of security, um, hope, um, stability, I guess you can say as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that this is the path I'm on and I, and I, I am happy to share it with whoever wants to hear. I mean, All right. I don't proselytize. I don't try to convert people to Judaism. It's not what we do. Um, my, my, my focus is Jews. Um, if somebody is, uh, somebody's not Jewish or needs help with something, if I can help, I'd be happy to help. Um, but uh, that's in my blood. <laughs> so as a, that's, it's, that's a very interesting aspect, the proselytization. Because I was actually thinking about this leading up to this interview that um, when we first met originally, um, you kind of talked a little bit about um, when people ask you to become a Jew or they want to become Jewish or they want to practice the religion. Um, that you you tell them no. Well, I don't actually tell them no. I, like I, don't, don't, I, don't, I don't encourage it. I don't. Uh, it's not like somebody comes to say, "Hey, I want to be Jewish." I say, "Yes, I got somebody." No, I, <laughs> uh, it's it. I mean, if, I'll, I'll take them seriously, obviously. Um, and you want to hear a little philosophy, Jewish philosophy? Yes. Sure. Yeah. Okay. I'd love to. Absolutely, please. <laughs> okay, so every single person in the world has their God-given mission, okay? Jews have a mission, and people who aren't Jewish have a mission. And they're two unique missions. And, you know, if, if you're brought into a company to, I don't know, be a salesperson, you know, if you start, if you grab the broom one day and the dustpan and the mop and you start cleaning the office, you know, it's a beautiful thing that you're doing, but that's not your job, mm -hmm. okay? So to the janitor, gets you know annoyed at the salesperson that they're not doing the job properly and they get up and start you know doing their job because i know what i'm doing better it's great but that's not the job you were given so for somebody who comes to me and they say they want to be jewish you know they want to switch roles basically and usually where that's coming from not always usually where it's coming from is a, it's coming from a place of i'm worthless i have no purpose and only if I change who I am and I start doing things and I start, you know, if I, I'm a different uh, religion, a different identity, then I can be who I really need to be. When well, it's not the case. They already have a mission. You already have a, a work that you need to do. 
and you don't need to change anything. Simple thing with a Jew. If a Jew comes to me and they say, I don't want to be Jewish anymore. Well, first of all, it can't happen. If you're Jewish, you're Jewish. Nothing to do about it. You can't convert out of Judaism. Um, so for somebody who wants to, to change what they're supposed to be doing, mm-hmm. I mean, I, that, that's who you are. Right. Certainly there's people that part of their calling is is making like the change in the job though we had someone on um a few months ago who it just made me think of that like she was in you know like the corporate sector living in new york and and she dropped everything to uh live a more spiritual life and uh it just reminded me of that when you were saying that story because i i feel like while I like, I agree with like most people, probably just feeling worthless. But I think there's definitely, would you say, situations where part of a person's narrative is is absolutely, you know, making a change. Obviously, not out of Judaism, for but sure, into it. for sure. People need to make changes in their life. If somebody is feeling they have no purpose and they they definitely need to feel not worthless, they need to feel useful. They need to feel that they have a purpose, that they have a, a reason to be alive, and that they're contributing to the world. Um, in a positive way, and if somebody's not playing, they definitely need to, you know, get in the game, get involved. Right. Um, that doesn't mean they need to, to need to be Jewish. Hmm. They need to be who they are. They need to be the best Gentile that they can be. Um, just like I need to be the best Jew that I can be. So I try. Um, but definitely, there's always room for improvement, and we should always try to strive to to, to grow. Um. I think that a lot of times it's easy to get confused about that too. Like, what is my calling? You know what I mean? Every now and then I'm struck with what I feel like is divine inspiration. You know what I mean? Or whatever it is, I'm, I'm pushed or I'm motivated or something tells me, some sign out there tells me that this is what I need to do. And being able to sometimes recognize that like, hey, this isn't, this isn't, the divine inspiration or God or whoever I think is sending me this signal. It's just me. And also at the same time, the opposite is true. You know, a lot of times I might think that it's just me going in a certain direction. Like this is what I want, but really I'm doing what I what like, you know, following my fate or my destiny or accomplishing the tasks that, uh, God has put in my way. Um, and being able to tell that difference is a very difficult challenge many times. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I feel like, I guess like more where my brain was going with that is like, I think about, you know, like, like a prisoner who reforms, you know, it, it's, it's like picking up the Bible or like the, the Quran or whatever like sacred text it is. And it's like, when you read the words on that page just it like hits you with like all like the the intensity of purpose that you feel like you've ever been been missing in your life you know um i just think those things those things like from a philosophical spiritual standpoint are just like extremely interesting to me because i feel like you just like get in where you fit in you know and 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 different words uh even though i feel you know, a lot of those go down to just like that pure love and, and intent that, that God puts out there in the world. Um, like you still have to get in where you feel most comfortable. Correct. Right. So if somebody chooses such a path, that's up to them. If somebody's coming to me and asking me what they should do, I'm not going to tell them to, just, to be Jewish. Yeah. Right. They're not Jewish. <laughs> that makes sense. Because um, from where I'm coming from and my, and, and the, this, our Torah, which is the, the Bible, the, um, it's called Torah. Mm-hmm. So this is our life. This is the, the air we breathe. And part of this, these teachings and this philosophy is that every person has their God-given mission. And like I said, if you're coming to me, I'll, you know, I, can, I can point you in the right direction. But I'm not going to start saying, you know, you should. You need to convert. You need to convert. No, mm-hmm. we, don't, right. we don't do that. That has to be an internal personal decision. Right. And conversion is a real thing in Judaism. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a fun process necessarily. But if somebody truly wants to be Jewish and they, they, they feel that this is what they need in their life, and it's definitely an option. Um, but like I said, it's not something I go out actively do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's interesting, too. Um, 
because like being raised christian that is that is like such a big standing point of christianity is that we need to or they need to or whoever needs to christians need to bring other people into the fold you know what i mean that's a big part of that religion and that philosophy is that we need to i don't know why i keep saying we i don't really identify as a christian but um that they need to or we need to christ followers need to um you know bring other people in and show them the light and show them the way and it doesn't sound like from what you're saying that's a big part of judaism not and at that all it, at it, least not in that sense yeah um i mean part of what chabad does and we're probably going to bring this up soon um one of the unique things that that Chabad has that a lot of other Jewish communities don't have or Jewish uh, uh, organizations or infrastructures don't have is outreach. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. One of the main focus that we do is outreach. We don't reach out to people and convert them to Judaism. We reach out to Jews. Mm -hmm. So I will go to people in Erie. I'll go to people in Edinburgh and Northeast and uh, Gerard. Um, Yes, I know some (laughs) <laughs> there are Jews in Gerard. Um, <laughs> surprise, surprise. And if you're listening to this, you know who you are. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I, I go and I, what do I do there? Do I, I, I go to them, I give them the time of day. Mm-hmm. You know how many people there are in this county that are just completely lonely? Sure, tons, I'm, and, I'm sure. And, they're, you know, they're, they're happy the way they are, but as soon as I show up and they get a little company and their little smile and uh, some inspiration and some encouragement, they're, they're, they're picks up their day, they're weak, and, and I get to witness it firsthand. It's, it's phenomenal. Would you say that it's like like the Jewish community is somewhat what, insulated then? Like, because you, by not, like, you know, actively converting people or whatever, um, you said, you know, you go out there and, and, and you talk to fellow members of the community and it like really brightens up their day because they're lonely. It's a very tight knit community. So you're saying there's, there's, there's a concern that maybe it'll get smaller and smaller without. Yeah. Is that like, is that like something that is like a. Also, I feel like there's a way to convert and there's a way to have outreach. You know, it's like the difference between marketing and public relations. Marketing is very direct and informational whereas PR might be something a little bit less direct and a little bit more subtle and ways to allow the Jewish community to still interact with other people outside of the Jewish community. Right. So like if somebody wants to come join a program or something that we're doing, I'm happy please come, you know, like I'm not going to tell you go away. Um, you know, it's just for the Jewish community. Um, it is focused for the Jewish community, but if somebody wants to participate, and we just had a um, a, a, holiday, a few holiday programs the past few months, and we've had pe- you know people who aren't Jewish that came and participated. They enjoyed themselves, and it was nice. It was beautiful. Um, That's super but, nice. And I know that Shabbat is a pretty big organization. I have a friend who lives out in Seattle who um, goes to works with the Jewish, I don't know how to say it, worships with the Jewish Chabad community out that way. Mm-hmm. So can you tell me a little bit about Chabad? So Chabad is a, a worldwide movement. Um, it's a, there's, there are Chabad centers, Chabad houses as they're known, hmm. um, literally all over the world, like in almost every country. Um, here in America, I think there's around uh, 3,000, I think. Um, and obviously there's in Israel and there's in Russia and there's sure. in Ukraine and there's in um, uh, Italy and France and England, Ireland, England. All, all over the place. Except dangerous countries, I don't know, but uh, there's, <laughs> they're all over the place. And they're all under one big umbrella. Um, and really each Chabad house or Chabad center is kind of like molded to the location that it's in. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you'll go to a big city uh, like Los Angeles and the Chabad houses over there are these, you know, these, these, these they're, they're like... I don't know what they're called. They're machines, mm-hmm. you know. Um, they're big. They're beautiful. They're 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 stuff happening every second. Um, in a place like Erie, it's a little, it's 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 relaxed. It's 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 a uh, very um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, not low tone, but kind of low key, maybe low key. Thank you. And so, our Chabad house is more. I don't think you guys speak Yiddish. Hamish. Hamish is the other word. Hamish means like homey or like uh, warm and fuzzy kind of thing. Okay. So it's a little bit more comfortable. It's then. more like family kind of. It's like a family style. Like uh, we're all family kind of thing. 
Um, you know, thank God we recently recently purchased a property, a building. Oh, congratulations! And, yeah, thank you. And um, so we're working to, you know, because we, we we do see a need to have a a center, a base of operation kind of thing. Um, and you know, we have a services there. It's also it's a synagogue there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Along with other, I'm sure, uh, religious type things like Torah studies or for sure we have a men's win- groups, yeah. women's groups, stuff mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, we have a weekly Torah class every Wednesday night. Um, and so that you were talking about the difference of the, the need for the different types of, um, Havad houses right. in a place like Erie compared to a place like LA, which I'm sure is hustling and bustling and has people Correct. all the time and different things going on. Right. Whereas here it's a little bit more comfortable, a little mm-hmm. bit more relaxed, a little bit more fam. Like you feel like you're a little bit more of a close knit tight group. Right. It sounds like. So the, Chab- the Chabad, the idea, the, the Chabad community, let's call it, um, is a over 200 year old movement. Wow. Um, it's, it's uh, Jewish as they come. Um, and this, it was uh, primarily started by the Baal Shem Tov, who was a, uh, a sage, a holy man who lived uh, around 300 years ago. Hmm. Um, and he founded the Hasidic movement. You've seen like the people with the, yes. the black hats. Familiar. Like, kind of looking like me, but like different varying, different uh, shape sizes. I remember my buddy told me what the, the curls were called. Pay? Payos. 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 Yeah. Payos. Um, so th- this style of living as a Jew was introduced by the Baal Shem Tov. Um, his successor's successor, the Alter Rebbe, Rabbi Shnei Zalman of Liadi, um, he introduced the Chabad philosophy, which started the Chabad movement. What's um, the Chabad philosophy? Chabad philosophy. You, you want, how long is this podcast? <laughs> it's about, we have about an hour, so. <laughs> okay. Uh, if you had a few hours, we can do the whole thing. But, um, I guess the, the Reader's Digest version, yeah. So just back up a bit. So you have to understand a little bit of the, the Jewish way of life, the Jewish history of the past millennia. Um, after we, we had a holy temple in Jerusalem, mm-hmm. you might have heard about that, and it was destroyed. It was an awful thing. 300 years ago? Th- about? 2,000 years ago. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and we've been exiled from, uh, from the land of Israel since then. Um, you know, yes, now there are plenty of Jews living in Israel, thank God, but uh, we are still in a state of exile. We can't, we don't, we don't have a, a holy temple anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of uh, Jewish practice that we can't do because of that, uh, as, of, as of right now. And, you know, going through every different country in the world, you know, starting off in wherever, like we went through Spain and through you know, just more recent history, Russia and Germany and so on. Um, you know, we kind of settled down, had issues, had um, pogroms and, and uh, you know, the Holocaust, obviously, and, you know, terrible things happened to us. And, and you know, we're still here. Very much a persecuted um, people. Very much. I'd love to get into that a little bit later, the generational. Sure. And, uh, I mean, I wouldn't define us as a persecuted people. I would say we are people who have been persecuted. Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, no, no. It's, Person it's, it's, first. It's a, no, it's a very, it's a philosophical thing, whatever. Yeah. Anyway, so... You know, going through this, we call it an exile, going through this this uh, tribulation and this uh, suffering and these hardships while sticking to it, sticking to our guns and uh, being as Jewish as we can, it gets tough. And things can kind of stale out, and, and that's what happened. At a certain point in history, you know, Jews were not necessarily excited to be Jewish. They weren't excited to practice Judaism, to learn Torah, and to to follow the, the, the mitzvahs, the commandments of the Torah. Um, the Bel Shem Tov came on the scene, and he introduced this Hasidic philosophy, which kind of, it's like Jewish life on steroids, basically. Um, and he introduced life and vitality and energy into Judaism. Um, and joy was a, a, a big part of it. Um, and it wasn't like he some, he kind of just like pulled out outside ideas and brought it into Judaism. And this was part and parcel of Judaism the whole time since mm-hmm. day one. Uh, but he kind of like blew the dust off the off the shelf and off the the things, and he he showed that this was here the whole time. Um, and he literally breathed life into the Jewish world. Um, at the same time, 
so he had many followers and um, he had a lot of very holy, very um, deep, wise sages that were his followers. Um, but the kind of the philosophy, the, the, the understanding of, the, of, the, of, of this way of life was kind of reserved for just the people who, can, who are, you know, vessels to understand that, to, to hold that information and, and integrate it within themselves. The Alter Rebbe, the founder of the Chabad movement, came along and he felt and saw that there, there was a need to this integration, that these intellectuals and these wise people and these, uh, these, these righteous people, that they, they had this information, they understood it. This integration, this um, making it part of oneself, like meaning it's not just something I get inspired and it's I, I, the, the rabbi inspired me kind of thing. The Alter Rebbe didn't want that. He wanted that the Jews should be inspired on their own. They should learn and they should understand, and that should be their inspiration. Hmm. Um, meaning not from the outside source, so to speak. Yeah, no, I love that a lot. Um, it, being able to internalize spiritual lessons and apply them in their life, I think, is what really makes um, somebody that lives by their principles and a spiritual person, whatever religion it is, makes that, you know, that really is what makes them, you know, an actual spiritual person versus just somebody who follows spiritual practices or somebody who attends church or synagogue or right. whatever it is that they're doing. A spiritual tourist. Spiritual yeah. tourist. Right. Yeah. You know, they're just sitting here seeing the sights and they're not really taking anything home with them to apply in their daily life. You know, actually, I'll share with you a story. Just remind me of this story. <laughs> um, the Lubavitcher Rebbe, the leader of the Chabad movement, um, he one time had a, a private audience with a, with a young boy a uh, young Jewish boy, I think he was had just turned bar mitzvah, which is 13 years old. And he, the Rebbe started talking to him about, guess. Uh, bar mitzvah? What else? Uh, the Torah? Yeah, what else? Any other guess? Um, All good guesses. <laughs> uh, I'm out of guesses. I, I'm fresh. I'm drawing a blank. <laughs> Baseball. Baseball. Okay, there baseball. you go. You yeah. should have saw that one coming. <laughs> that was my next From guess. left field. Um, so this kid loved baseball, and he loved going to games, and he was excited. He wasn't so excited about, the, you know, the, the Jewish thing. You know, he wasn't so, like, impressed. But he liked baseball. He loved baseball. And he was an avid fan. So the Rebbe was talking to him about baseball, you know, on his level. And the Rebbe asked him an interesting question. He said, you know, when you're when in the, 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 whatever it was, the sixth or the seventh inning, um... And your team that you're rooting for, they're losing. What happens? So the kid said, well, some people, a lot of people get up and leave. Yeah. <laughs> so like, the fans all leave? Like, yeah, basically. So, so the Rebbe asked them, oh, that's fascinating. And obviously the, the players also leave, right? And he said, oh, no, they don't leave. So the Rebbe said, why not? He's like, because they need to play the game. So the Rebbe said, exactly. So... You as a Jew, your bar mitzvah now, you, you're, you, this is part of your life. You need to take this seriously. Don't be a fan. Be a player. Hmm. And I think there's a lot to that, too, because if you're a team that's losing, I feel like it's easy to give up, at least in my experience playing sports. But the always, anytime for a sports fan or somebody that's watching, the most exciting part is those that comeback hmm. <laughs> and, uh, you know, continuing on and... Uh, you know, making making those big plays or those game-saving, you know, movements. Or, or not even the comeback, like when you lose and then you show up the next day and practice, you know, and practice and practice and practice so you can get potentially over that, that hump and uh, win, win a game. Mm -hmm. Right. So I like what you just did there and shared like a, a parable or like a parable that was led off by questions mm -hmm. and allowed me to try and guess and figure out the answer and interpret it on my own. And I feel like in my, a lot of my spiritual experiences, a lot of time the answer is given to me. And I personally appreciate it a lot more when I find a, a rabbi or somebody to teach me in a way that allows me to think creatively and actively engage in the problem to find the best solution with a little bit of, of your guidance, you know, or right. a rabbi's guidance or a teacher's guidance or whoever's right. guidance. I know in a lot of um, communities, like questions, when it comes to religion, questions are a no-no. Mm -hmm. You don't ask questions. You don't ask that question. You can't right. Ask that exactly. Question. You know the truth. You got to follow the rules. I welcome questions. I'm excited about questions. People come to me and say, can I ask a question? I say, sure. Ask me anything you want. 
Um, if I have an answer, I'd be able to, I'm happy to give to you. Um, in fact, the Talmud, which is like one of the most important books in Jewish life, um, it's, the, it's a compendium, it's the basis of Jewish law, this okay. Jewish practice. The, the Talmud starts with a question. Hmm. It literally starts with, a, the whole thing is questions. The whole, it's full of questions and answers, discussions back and forth. So Judaism and questions go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. How else are you supposed to understand things and get answers? Right. And I feel like I've seen that portrayed in Jewish culture in like movies and TV shows. Um, but it's really cool to be able to like, because ex- every time, like even the first time I met you, there were a lot of questions, and you gave us a, like a similar type situation where you tell us a little bit of a story, and you started off with a question, or you'd ask us different things that I would have to try to riddle out and solve for myself, and then was be able to be guided in a positive direction. I just really feel like that's such a better way for people to learn and to embrace you know, a different teaching or a different way of thinking is to actually go through that experience rather than um, just be told because so many people, at least, I mean, I can't speak for everybody, but in my experience, I've always been told what to do. You know, I was told by to do what to do by school, told what to do by religion, told what to do by the police or, who, you know, whoever it was that was telling me what to do at the given time. And being able to think creatively and find your own solutions without being told to do, I think is an incredibly valuable skill that a lot of people, um, at least in culture and in society today struggle with. Mm-hmm. I mean, at the same time, um, in Judaism, we're very into, you know, going to people who are, who are smarter than us and are wiser and of have course. more experience and getting their guidance. Mm-hmm. Um, doesn't mean you can't ask questions, right? Well, sure. Ask questions. If you don't understand something you want to, you want to learn, you mm-hmm. know, ask. And I'm just expressing that I think that's a great way to to find that guidance. You know right. what I mean? To have a teacher that um, offers you that lesson in a way that you can kind of figure. You know, they they point you in the right direction, but they don't tell you how how far to how far to run or how to get there. You know what I mean? They allow you to kind of work your way through it and think creatively and engage in that whole process. I think it's always at least in my personal experience how i interact with people it's always better to be spoken with than spoken to Mm -hmm. you know so like i I need to be engaged like i i agree with tony you know if if i'm trying to like learn something or um maybe become more involved in something that i need to be it's a lot better for me to be talked to on a more equal level than just being like, this is what you have to do. Just do it. You know, like the baseball thing, it's such a, it's such a powerful way to bring about the lesson that so many people would, would not like get on that level. They just go, I don't care, you know, stop, thinking about baseball you have to do this or like this is what's really important and for me like that that would be a turnoff right and i think that the way i engage with the world often ever since i was young is through challenges you know what i mean somebody tells me something or tells me what to do that's the challenge either i have to do the opposite or i have to figure out how to challenge my way through it and it's much easier for me to engage in the process and reach that challenge or do that thing if i'm allowed uh at least a modicum of freedom to get there by myself right you want to, on that point that you mentioned like being like you don't want to be talked down to you don't want to be like somebody to come and say hey you know, i know better than you, you know? right um part of the jewish uh the torah philosophy is that think of a think of people like like a big body big a big human being big structure um which part of the body is more important the heart or the foot Mm. Well, the heart. Obvious the heart. answer is the yeah. heart. Right, because right? Right, the heart is what keeps you alive. But when it comes to, um, is the heart actually completely better than the foot? No. The heart can't walk. Yeah. You, you, you can't, if you just have a heart and you don't, and God forbid somebody have feet, they can't walk. So the feet have an advantage over the heart, which the heart doesn't have. Heart is more important, that's true. But the feet have an advantage. So... And the same thing is with every body part. Every single body part has its unique quality that all the body parts don't have. So the way we look at other people, the way we're supposed to relate to other people is every person has something that I don't have. They have a specialty, a quality, uh, a beauty that I don't have. So I shouldn't look down at this person. I should look up to this person. Right. 
And that kind of ties in with what how we started this conversation and you saying, talking a little bit about everybody finding their own particular purpose and being able to engage with that and find gratitude in, um, you know, identity or whatever it is they're searching for through that particular purpose that they're here for. Mm. Very interesting. So we were talking about Havad, I think. Oh, you're wondering how we got to how? how what? <laughs> yeah. So that, that was the, philo- the the part of the philosophical part of Chabad. But how does that in, uh, in, interpret into opening a big build, like a house and uh, putting yourself in, you know, in, uh, in Yiddish, you would say Ekvelt, like in the middle of nowhere, mm-hmm. to to serve to serve the Jewish community. Um, so part of the the Hasidic philosophy, the Chabad philosophy, is that every Jew is precious, absolutely, hundred percent, a million percent precious, and with that understanding, and you internalize that to the best of your ability, how precious everybody is, when you see there's Jews in the community, wherever they might be, that um, they could use a boost. And fair enough. For whatever the reason. So it's if I can pick them up, then I should go there and pick them up. Um, that's not easy to do. My move to Erie wasn't you know, flowers and roses, um, and there are difficulties, um, but we have a sense of mission, um, and we we see as a as a as a privilege to to be here and to you know pick people up and give and give them the time of the day and help them do a mitzvah, um, like I said earlier, a mitzvah is a, one of the commandments of the Torah. Um, whether it's a woman lighting Shabbat candles, the Sabbath candles, or a man putting on tefillin, um, which you witnessed, um, and whatever it might be, if I can, you know, inspire somebody, then I would love to. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like uh, the goal of the Shabbat, at least from what I'm understanding, is to kind of bring back, at least if we're going all the way back to the beginning when you t- started this, was to kind of reinvigorate the sense of purpose behind these mitzvahs mm. and to show people the value in doing things the Jewish way and that they can find a sense of enrichment and fulfillment through these practices that maybe they had lost touch with. Absolutely. <laughs> Very well said. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I will plug in over here that, uh, like, like I said, Jews have a mission and the Gentiles have a mission. Two different missions. Jews have their mitzvahs and Gentiles have their mitzvahs. What's known as the seven Noahide laws. Mm-hmm. Laws given to Noah. You know Noah. The yeah. Ark. Mm-hmm. Um, very basic precepts. And th- th- this should be the, every person in the world, their guiding lights. This is their their sense of mission. In fact, if anybody is interested or is listening, there's a book. It's called The Divine Code, which is with this. It's, it's the, This is the topic of the book. Hmm. Explaining all the different um, aspects of the seven Noahide laws. Pick it up on Amazon. Right. And I, I think it's also interesting the, the like going back through like history and stuff like that, that people, I feel like there's a, this is just my own thing. I think there, there's very much like a genetic memory in all of us and a certain culture, a certain ideas, philosophies that are kind of passed down through generations, through her, your heritage. And I think that being able to identify with, and practice those different things from our heritage gives them a little bit more strength and purpose. Um, one of my other teachers um, talked with me, um, he's actually from India, and uh, he practices a lot of Native American practices. And he says, well, I moved from India to America, and now that I am in America, I want to practice the things that are strong here that have been here for a while to get in touch with that land, just like how Israel is to the Jews, I would imagine. And that made a lot of sense to me to embrace what you're around and to, you know, make a note of not only like our own ancestral heritage that's passed through us, but like the, the ways of the, of the, of the area that we're in. Does that make sense? Yeah, I will add, um, if I can add. No, of course. I'd love... I, <laughs> um, for Jewish people, heritage is, is, is vital. Mm-hmm. Um, a Jew without a heritage, meaning without, a, uh, without knowing about their heritage, without any connection to their heritage, um, is 
is unfortunate. And that I think that goes for anybody too. Right. Everybody needs, needs to have a sense of, of a background. Mm -hmm. You know, like I didn't just fall from nowhere. Right. Um, and, you know, we have been through everywhere in the world, pushed from one country to the next, kicked out of one country next to them, you know, migrated to another one. And although we've sometimes adopted different, you know, ways of doing things in a sense, um, but the, the, the Jewish practice has never changed. And that's what kept us going, really. Mm -hmm. um, it's not culture, it's not language. Guaranteed Jews in the desert back when they're transversing the desert, they're not speaking English. Guaranteed. Yeah. Um, it's not language. It's not, um, uh, you know, uh, a certain ideology that it, it, it's it's the Jewish practice, you know, doing the mitzvahs and learning the Torah and following these these this guide, this guidebook, the Torah. That is really what kept us together. So. Like I said, so we're kind of just like passing through these places. We might pick a thing up here too, um, like a, 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 a way of doing something possibly, but the actual, the way it's laid out in Jewish law, how things are done, that's the way we've been doing it. Mm -hmm. um, and that's really what keeps Jews together. Let me ask you a question in this. I am totally, not totally ignorant, but somewhat ignorant. Uh, so like... You were talking about keeping everything together. Is is there different like like sects though, like Orthodox? Uh, I would I don't know Hasidic Hasidic like because I'm thinking like I can only like process things from my heritage, my background. So I think I know it's a totally different religion, but I think like Christianity and how it's like Catholics are like this is the true way. This is the actual Christianity, and then you got Protestants and Baptists and Lutherans, Lutherans and Methodists. Methodists, and everyone is Christian, but they absolutely don't work together. You know what I'm saying? So when I'm it, even with different uh, interpretations, but I mean, similar fundamentals, but similar fundamentals, it's like still like this extremely like tight knit group like the, the, the Jewish community? So I'll say two things. One, labels are for shirts. Okay. Love that. <laughs> Love it. Labels are for shirts. Um, if a Jew is a Jew, they're a Jew. Okay. You know? um, Judaism started at Mount Sinai. We actually just celebrated the holiday of Shavuot, which commemorates that um, historical uh, event. Um, God gave the Jewish people the Torah, which people call the Bible, whatever. And from then till today, the way we've been doing, the way we've been, things have been interpreted has never changed. It's always been the same. Like we look at an ancient text, the Talmud is written 2000 years ago. It's not Chinese, it's Aramaic, it's a different language, but this is studied in yeshivas and Jewish schools around the world. And it's not just, you know, we read the words and just hope we like, like memorize the way that we understand it. We try to learn it. We try to delve into it and, and grow in our understanding of it um, because it's not two religions. It's not six religions. It's one thing from then till now. Mm -hmm. um, so we have an interpretation and we have uh, the way we, we have always been learning and the way that we've always lived. Um, so I, are there different sects in Judaism? There are different sects in, 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 in regards to custom, how some of the certain things are done. Um, there's, um, you know, different dress modes. You know, so the Hasidic dress, you'll see, like we said, the peyot, the curly things on the side of the head. Um, oh, the tassels. Ta yeah, I have that actually. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, what are those called? I'm sorry, I don't mean to call them. They're called tzitzit. 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 T-Z-I-T-Z-I-T. Okay. Um, that doesn't help. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the... Actually, there's an important thing you just brought up. Tzitzit. It's a Hebrew word. So uh, one of the reasons why we wear this, we, we wear it because God said in the Torah, wear tzitzit on a, on a garment that has four corners. So okay. we, wear gar we specifically wear garments that have four corners in order to be able to do this uh, mitzvah. 
Um, so the Hebrew word tzitzit is spelled in Hebrew. You're not going to, you don't show sure nothing with the Hebrew letters, but it's tzadik yud, tzadik yud, taf. And in Hebrew, every letter has a numerical value. Hmm. So the first letter equals one, the second letter equals two, the tenth letter equals ten, the eleventh letter equals twenty. It's, after ten, it kind of like exponent. I don't know what the word is. Eleventh equals twenty. Yeah, I'm saying it, it's it's it, it sounds weird in English, but uh-huh. the, the letter chaf, which is the eleventh letter, equals twenty, and finally down to the last letter, the letter taf, equals four hundred. Hmm. Um, so those, take the letters of the word tzitzit. It's uh, tzadik is ninety, yud is ten, tzadik is ninety, yud is ten, taf is four hundred. 90, 10, 90, 10, 400, what's the equal? Who's good at math? I'm not going to make you... I, I can't do it. 600. I, if I had uh, a minute, I could. <laughs> 600. Um, and each corner of the tzitzit, the strings have, um, sorry, have five knots. Mm-hmm. And each corner has eight strands, eight strings. Eight plus five is 13, plus the word is 600, 613. There's 613 mitzvahs in the Torah. Wow. Part of the reason why we wear this is to remind us of all the mitzvahs. Um... And that was the logic. I love uh, numerology so much. And when numbers do fun things like that, like whenever I see a date line up, if it like somehow adds up into the first number or the second number, all the sorts of different things, it just really, I don't know, makes me, my heart smile a little bit. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, it's fun stuff. Like um, five, five, seven, 2013. For example, five mm-hmm. and seven add up equals right. thirteen. And we got thirteen, thirteen. Your numbers, man. Huh? Yeah, I, I, I'm not really good at adding or subtracting them. I can do it, but I, I do really like. I think that's interesting and fun, and it just makes me smile a little bit when things add up like that. I love coincidences, mm-hmm. and I think that the coincidences also. There are no coincidences. Everything is, you know, fate or destiny or spirit or God or wh- however you like to identify the force that kind of puts all these things together so i think that's really interesting that the seat seat has the numbers even worked into it it just mm-hmm. shows a lot of thought and a lot of processing going into making everything kind of fit together so snugly and perfectly right, listen come to my weekly class you learn more <laughs> <laughs> cool um so where were we we were talking about the rituals and the seat seat mm-hmm. and the uh, different sects, actually, that's what we we're talking about. Are the so different about ritualized. the core beliefs and the core mm-hmm. practices and the the basic stuff that all Jews do or have a privilege to do. Um, that's all the same. You know, I put on the tefillin, the, the black boxes and the straps. You don't know what I'm talking about, but uh, you saw it. Um, you can Google it. So I put that on every morning mm-hmm. uh, when I pray. And you know, a Jewish man is supposed to put on tefillin. It's their it's their responsibility and it's their privilege. Um, every Jewish sect in the world, whether they're Hasidic, whether they are um, uh, more like the Lithuanian style of, of, uh, of, of uh, you know, Jewish practice, whatever, everybody puts on tefillin. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not up for debate. It's, it's just that's, how we, that's part of Jewish life. Another thing that um, I, re- sorry, I don't yeah. mean to interrupt, but another thing I really appreciate about, about tefillin, I'm going to talk about it a little bit from my experience. It is pieces of the Torah in a black box that you wrap your arms with and put one on your head too. So you kind of become immersed in the Torah. And I just really like the physicality of that because so much, I think, at least in my experience, a lot of spiritual practices are very much, you know, um, rooted in spirit and you can't really see them or touch them or look at them. Whereas the practice of tefillin or tying tefillin is very much a physical thing and actually putting you physically inside the Torah for a brief minute. At least that's my interpretation. That's actually solid, pretty solid. Um, one of the unique things about Judaism is that it's very physical focused, mm-hmm. um, action focused. Um, and if somebody understands like the philosophy, the philosophy behind a certain, uh, you know, practice and they, they, it resonates with them and they cherish it and they think into it and they, 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 they live their life on this. It doesn't come close to actually doing the act. Mm-hmm. If there's a Jew who wants to establish their connection with God, the closest they can get to God is by doing a mitzvah physically. Not learning about it, not delving into the, the philosophy behind it, just simply doing it. Um, it doesn't necessarily feel very inspirational. You're just doing a little act that you don't really understand what you're doing, but it touches the core of the soul. It, it, this little simple act. 
Um, so it's very interesting that you said that you're wrapping, you're kind of immersing yourself in Torah. But yeah, it's it's very physical focused. Um, For me, that makes things a lot easier to understand too. Relate um, to. And I feel like at the same time, a lot of people don't appreciate the physicality of that stuff. You know what I mean? Like a spiritual practice. Like, oh, I'm putting myself inside of a book not to blaspheme or anything like that. Like, what is that actually doing for me? Mm -hmm. um, and not um, maybe being open to or understanding the the meaning or the mentality behind it or having the the openness to embrace that experience and being like, wow, I'm actually putting myself inside of a holy book that teaches me all of these life lessons and all of these things that I cherish and value and are important to me culturally, genetically, like throughout my life. Um, and I think that's, that's a special, like, I don't know. It's really beautiful. Yeah. Awesome. Well so we got, what other kind of rituals are, are, do you have that are more physically based? Lots of stuff. Okay. <laughs> uh, just a what simple are your example. Uh, we mentioned do you earlier. Have a favorite. Favorite. We're not supposed to have favorites. Of course Meaning, not. Meaning, um, these are God's commands, and you know, God's uh, asking us to to follow these these um, practices. So to say this is more important, or that one is more important, is, mm -hmm. is kind of missing the point. Certainly, I um, understand that. Do I have some that I connect with more? I mean, I haven't really thought about it, but I'm sure I do. Um, I think there's something very uh, special about the, um, you mentioned earlier, um, before we started this podcast, before the multiverse, um, right. that what, when, when there wasn't a multiverse, that but didn't in theory, yes, there was. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, about the Hanukkah candles, mm -hmm. or the Hanukkah candles, they're pronounced. Um, which is the holiday of Hanukkah is usually around uh, November, December time. Um, why does it change, by the way? Because it's based on a Jewish calendar. It's a totally different calendar. Is that a lunar calendar? It's a lunar calendar, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Love that. Mm -hmm. So the holiday of Hanukkah is, is you know, we, we light eight candles throughout the holiday. We start, it's an eight-day holiday. We light one candle on the first night, two candles on the second night, three candles, so on and so forth. And, you know, just the act itself, it, you know, it's there's something, something there. You're not really sure what it is. You can't put your finger on it. Um, obviously, the more you learn and the more you, you delve into it, you, the more you can appreciate it. But even without knowing anything, something captivating about it. And I think it's very special. So I guess, I don't know if it's something to more connect with more, but it's something that I, that I, I find very... Um, it has a good place in your heart. Yeah. And also, like, growing up, I have my memories of, you know, lighting the, the Hanukkah candles my, with my family. So also that's all, you know, mixed in with this. Do you guys have a special sermon or a special type of, uh, I'm, I'm, I don't want to call it the wrong word, but I'm just going to say like a mass for, um, Hanukkah. Cause like, I know that during Christmas being raised Christian, you know, the Christmas mass is very, um, celebratory, celebratory. And it's marked. It's like about the birth of Christ. You know what I mean? That's what you talk about. That's what the sermon's relating to. Is there, I'm, I'd imagine there's probably a similar vibe to the Hanukkah sermons or the Hanukkah um, congregations. Okay, so sermons, just the topic sermons. of sermons before we even get into that. Um, in my head, I don't give sermons. Okay. <laughs> you know, I, we have a weekly um, prayer service um, that's available to the community. Um, and... You know, I in the middle of the service at a certain point, I will I do get up and I and I share a few words of inspiration, uh, based on the weekly Torah portion of that week or whatever was is going on that week, which holiday, and whatnot. Um, but I mean, I never thought of it as a sermon. <laughs> it's, it's just uh, just sharing some words, some thoughts. Um, is there something special for Hanukkah? I mean, we there's no there's there's not like a special prayer service like for Hanukkah. There there's there are special parts of the prayer that we that are added into the regular prayers. By the way, we pray every day. Mm -hmm. We pray every single day, um, morning and night, morning, afternoon, and night. Okay. Um, sometimes even more than that. Sure. Uh, I mean, I pray all the time. Some days, some weeks, doesn't so stop. So in the prayer service on Hanukkah, there's a special section or two added. Um, but, you know, if like on, uh, on the Sabbath, which is when we have our, on Saturday, when we have our services, if it's a middle Hanukkah, we'll share some um, thoughts and inspiration and depth on Hanukkah so people can appreciate it more and walk away with something, I hope. Is there, I'm sure they do. Is it, is it like that for um, 
I don't know if holiday is the right word, but uh, other uh, important days on the calendar, like like Yom Kippur, Passover. For somebody who said they're ignorant. <laughs> Yom Kippur. I'm, oh, not to- I'm not totally ignorant. <laughs> I, practiced, I practiced my Hebrew, too, before you came here. I was like, I'm going to say shalom when he comes here, and I totally forgot. You know, it's like it reminds me, it's not the same thing, but it reminds me of like when you go to a foreign country and like you, you've you studied the language like really well. Right. And you want to like kind of pass off as somebody who grew up there. At least go a little to, bit, right? Yeah, Show them go, to, go, to, go to one of the people there and you start speaking their language and you ask them like, you know, where the closest restaurant is. And they look at you and they say, it's right down the street. Oh, uh, perfect English. <laughs> right. <laughs> like I see right through you. They, they always know for sure. But at least I feel like that gives me... It lets them know that I care about their culture mm-hmm. and their language and their heritage to at least try to do that, um, especially with a language that's not as commonly known or spoken in the United States. At least, I mean, I've the Hebrew that I've heard is probably next to none here, mm-hmm. um, and I think that there's a, an incredible value in languages. And right. I know that it's not dying, so to speak, but I think that being able to share at least know a little bit of lots of different languages is you know, has its value. Right. There are some Hebrew speakers in area. They're just they usually speak English. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I would expect that, but I'm sure, I'm certain there are. And I'm sure there's a lot of people who know a lot more Hebrew than I'd imagine. Yeah. I'd have to throw this in here. Uh, when we were talking about like the physical stuff I've been, it was a, it was like Christian Jewish, like union, but I got to experience, uh, some of the, uh, Jewish wedding, uh, like uh, uh rituals or whatever ceremonial uh things that stuff was fun that was that that was yeah. really really cool uh i enjoyed that very very much it was a lot more a lot more exciting than what i was used to mm-hmm. i just i was just thinking of that when you guys were talking about like the physical <laughs> stuff like uh like the carrying around the chair with the person and it was the most fun i've probably ever had at a wedding it was it was it was incredible and Good. i wish that more people did that <laughs> another thing kind of a random question but i thought of it while we were talking about languages and i think that it is really interesting that because most of the older texts for the the big three or i think there's some name for them you know abrahamic religions um is Aramaic, from my understanding. That's how they were originally transcribed onto paper and passed down was Aramaic. And Hebrew, I know, is a much older language than English, which is what we read a lot of literature in today as far as Abrahamic religions go. Do you think... Because I love reading the Aram- the direct Aramaic to English translations from like the Bible or the Torah or the Quran or anything like that. I think they're incredibly beautiful and they're very poetic. Um, would you say that, that that lends itself more to being translated to Hebrew, being that that's an older language? Granted, I'm sure that it's changed throughout the multi-thousand year history that Hebrew has existed but to me, that seems like a much more direct path or a much stronger path from one thing to the next rather than one thing to the next thing to the next thing to the next thing to the next thing to, the next thing to what we have now. In Correct. Right. I've heard, I've heard this. I don't, I'm, much, I'm sure it's true. It sounds true. It makes sense that in the court system, if somebody provides a, um, uh, a document as proof for whatever they're trying to get across, mm-hmm. um, but the document is in a foreign language, you know, they can get that translated for the court into English or whatever. Um, but the there's a rule that the translation can't be more valid than the original proof documents because hmm. this is the original. That's a translation. The translation, you know, things do get lost, lost, or you know, um, Mixed confused, up, interpreted. Yeah, in translation. So the the Torah, the the Bible is originally it's a Hebrew book. It's Hebrew. Okay. So it was written in Hebrew, not Aramaic. It's not Aramaic. Okay. Not English, not Chinese, not French. It's 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 straight up Hebrew. Okay. Um, and this is the be- part of the beauty of, of the Jewish culture is that we, when we learn Torah, when we're looking at the the Bible, we're not reading it. We're not learning it in English. We're learning it in the original Hebrew. What I, I learn Torah every day. You know, I, I I try, and I'm learning in Hebrew. And I, you know, to the best of my ability, I understand the words, but I, you know, there's there's commentaries and the things that help understand the certain things. Um, but 
it's important to have it translated as well because people should be able to understand it. Mm-hmm. Of course. But you do have to realize that the original trans, the original translation, the original thing, the Hebrew is is where it's at. And if you can get into it in the Hebrew, you should. Um, there's just certain things you can't like that that can't be relayed or conveyed in in a different language. So I think an example. I don't know. Um, you know, there's a fascinating story in the Talmud. <laughs> Um, there was a certain uh, wicked king who grabbed uh, like a, a number of sages, I think it was 72 sages, Jewish sages, and he locked them up in separate rooms, and he forced them to translate the Torah into, I forgot the language, but he wanted them to translate the Torah into his language. Um, and his culture was a very, you know, uh, what's the word, um, what's the opposite of monotheistic? Um, polytheistic. polytheistic. Thank you, polytheistic. Yeah. Um, so, you know, every word, if there was something that was off that he could misinterpret, it would be bad. So just the first few words of the Torah, the very first words, it says in the Hebrew, which means that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's how it starts. Um, now, if you were to translate that literally word by word into English, it would have a very different translation. It would be something like, in the beginning... Or, or this entity called in the beginning created God, which is blasphemy to the greatest extreme, which is also doesn't make any sense. But he would use that as an excuse to misinterpret. He wanted an accurate translation. So they, um, so that's just, that's just an example of, of that you can't translate a word for it. You can't translate it literally. There's certain a certain style to Hebrew. Every language has its style, but there's a certain, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Context. I, I understand the idea of what right. you're saying. What I, in my experience, like my girlfriend right now, she, Celinda, she is learning Korean. Yeah. And a lot of times I'll ask her what the, because, and this applies with a lot of other languages, grammatically, things are very, very different, you know? Um, so what makes sense to the Korean people and their gr- grammatically um, is very different from what it would be the literal translation in English, you know, Um, as far as tenses go and how the different words interact with each other. It is something entirely different. That means the same thing in Korean. um, But when said directly in English, it has an entirely different meaning. I think that's what you're trying to convey. Right. Or also like uh, I speak Yiddish as well. Mm -hmm. Um, So like there's a a phrase in Yiddish, uh, uh, Haka Chinik. Hakachanik literally means you're hitting a tea kettle, hmm. but it means like you're just you're, you're 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 saying silly things. You're like you're wasting time. Yeah, it's uh, a it's a colloquialisms, right? You know, like th- that's when people are like learning English, and you have certain things like even something like "What's up," yeah. you know, to us or that's, that's just cool. like hey, you know, hey, how you know things are going good, but like if you don't know the language, you're like where hey, you know <laughs> what what do you what do you mean you know. Right. And same with hello in a lot of languages, too. Like, we have hello, but in Chinese, they would say ni hao, which is you good. And that's, you know, just the greeting. It means the same thing. It means it's salutations, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Correct. So that's interesting, and that's very cool that it's so, that you have, like, the direct version. To me, anyway, I think that, like, the closer, because I like physical things, which I already mentioned, the closer I can get to the source, the better. And when it currents through so many hands I understand that it gets distorted and I like to be as direct to my spiritualism my God or whatever as I can be and not have anything else that's kind of muddying it up for me you know mm-hmm. or changing things for me and I think that 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 mental or that language closeness is very cool and very interesting I think there's a lot of like resolve around it to like really dive into that identity that um gets lost in a lot of other practices like for myself i think about like you know growing up catholic and it lasted all the way up until like my dad was young but like their original language with like the new testament was was latin and like over the last like 30 or 40 years or so they just stopped using latin you know like there's no masses in latin like i know my dad told me when he was a kid when they were going to like their Sunday school and stuff, they had to learn the Latin. Mm-hmm. And they I think just it was don't... Greek before that, and Hebrew, and then Aramaic or something. I know that there's like a a series of languages that the Bible has gone through. Well, the first or at least one was... the New Testament, anyway. Well, the first one was Latin because it was it came about in like the uh, the Roman time, times. Yeah. But uh, 
but but just like they just don't do it anymore you know like some places do it like i'm sure they do it in like you know like the vatican i'm not i don't practice anymore but i just know as a kid it was like my you know deviate in a way because it was like path least resistance type thing so i think it says a lot to like the uh the commitment the, com- the commitment exactly to to the uh identity and the religion of of judaism you know, you just don't see it in a lot of different places. Like you take the translation and just just roll with it. Right. Path of least resistance instead of, you know, mm-hmm. seeing, hey, this is what we have. This is what works. This is what we're going to stick to. Correct. Interesting. It's just really super interesting to me. I, I always love learning new things uh, down here uh, in this podcast room and uh different just different like spirituality spiritualisms uh religions uh ways of life it just fascinates me right. and it just interests me to no end so i'm just like spitballing yeah <laughs> going at it <laughs> it has been super fun and some of the spiritual guests that we've had down here have been incredibly interesting i mean we've had a ton of amazing people and uh, i really want to thank you for coming down and hanging out with us and giving us this tremendous lesson this amazing lesson about judaism um i really appreciate your knowledge and you sharing it with us so i have a little bit more um a little bit more wisdom a little bit more knowledge great thank you for having me yeah it's been a pleasure it's been awesome um thank you guys all for listening we love and appreciate you thank you to all our sponsors all the people that support us on patreon y'all are the best peace shalom goodbye